I want to talk to you this morning about something really cool, and it's a story all from World War I, and I'm going to roll a really cool video for you. By Christmas Eve, 1914, the First World War had raged across Europe for nearly five months. The grim reality of a hard war began to set in. Both sides began carving out trenches across the eastern and western fronts. They prepared for a war that had no end in sight. The western front extended for hundreds of miles through France and Belgium, protecting the heart of France from an invading German-led army. Life in the trenches was bleak. Soldiers on both sides were at the mercy of a bitter European winter. Supplies and morale were dwindling. There was insufficient medical care, and the enemy trenches were often only a hundred feet from their own fortified positions. The distance between the opposing trenches, referred to as no man's land, was littered with the bodies of the deceased from both sides. To step into this space meant to step in to nearly certain death. It was against this backdrop that on a moonlit night and a frost-covered ground, the unexpected occurred. It was something that defied the cold realities of war and would have a lasting impact on all those involved and even beyond. But thanks to Church of the Highlands who put that video together. Five years ago in 2018 was the 100-year anniversary of the World War I armistice. That is the end of World War I. And World War I was a war that the world had never, ever seen before, where so many nations came together and fought against each other, and millions of people were killed. It's something that's actually a special uh, uh, story and a special uh, event that is, sorry, is an event that holds a special place in my heart because my great-grandfather is a story that my mother had told me about, that her grandfather came back from war in World War I. <clears throat> when he came back, he decided to abandon his family and he ran away to a place as far away as he could, which was in Vancouver in Canada. When I heard that story, I actually went to look for information about him, and I found his gravestone in Vancouver, and someday I hope to go see it. Why? Just simply because I know that's a part of my history. Now, did he abandon his family because of bad character, or was it because of PTSD, because he was a medic on the front line and saw horrific things on the front line? There's probably many reasons why families break apart. There's probably many reasons why countries break apart, but when they do break apart, they only cause pain. And in 1914, they started off with just one person doing one act. And it started off with a man called Gavrilo Princip, who was a 19-year-old man, <clears throat> excuse me, who was a Bosnian Serb freedom fighter who was fighting against colonial oppression in that area. And he assassinated this very well-dressed man called Archduke Franz Ferdinand, who seems to have a very good clothier, and he loves to wear medals, and he's a very good moustache on that face. And when he actually got killed, it set off a whole spate of reprisals and declarations of war in the space of one week. And in the space of one week, Austria then declared war on Serbia. 
And so Russia therefore declared war on Austria because they had a pact with Serbia. And so therefore Germany came along and they declared war on Russia because they had a pact with Austria. And so therefore France thought they would get involved and they declared war on Germany. And then Germany decided to declare war on Belgium. It was a French-speaking country just like France. And therefore Britain decided to get involved and they declared war too. This is obviously a map of what happened in World War I, but this map could also be a map of some of our families who have gone through declarations of war where one person disagrees with another and now Aunt Jemima is involved and Uncle Tom is involved and, and uh, cousin, cousin William is involved and, and your sister and your brother and your mother and your father and everyone has to take a position and a side and they actually have to declare their position and their side and declare an act of war on someone else. During World War I was where there was a birth of trench warfare. When I say the birth, it was more associated with World War I. Not necessarily that it began there, but it, trench warfare took root there, so much so that there was about 475 ditches, 475 trenches, sorry, 475 miles worth of trenches were dug during World War I. Just on the front line alone, there's 25 miles on that front line. And after four years, there was 20 million people dead, but the Allies had only gained seven miles since the beginning of the war. That's not a lot of mileage. That's not a lot of uh, ground that was gained just to fight and for millions of people to die just to get seven more miles For many of us, this is often a picture of our own life, our own family, where families have maybe disagreed with each other and fought with each other, but no real ground has ever been gained. You get to a place that they call stalemate. And this war got to a place where there was no progress. Nothing was gained. There was only deadlock. There was only a stalemate until something very special happened. Someone stepped into a place called no man's land. And during that time of no man's land on Christmas Eve, someone stepped in there and both sides decided to come together and they shared food and played games. When I was growing up, I remember this story, being told about this story. It's a true story on Christmas Eve where the both sides came together just to actually have a truce between one another. And I want to show you a little story on a video about that. Jenkins, I'm clean. No. Oh, 
My name is Jim. My name is Otto. Pleased to meet you, Otto. Freut mich. Rose, she's called. Um, it's schön. Um, it's schön. This is the true story of the Christmas truce of 1914. And when this actually happened on Christmas Eve, it says that several things happened to these soldiers when they actually met with one another. The first thing was this, that they began to know each other as humans. They didn't just see each other as targets or just the enemy or just a, a soldier or just a uniform, but they literally saw each other as humans. And because of that, they wouldn't shoot at each other. When they were told to actually fire on each other, they would shoot their guns up into the air, but wouldn't actually aim any of the bullets at any of their enemies. And because of that, the generals and the directors of war had to come up with a new rule, and that rule was called no fraternization with the enemy. It became illegal to make friends or to treat the enemy as a friend in any way. And because of that, they actually had to reassign all those soldiers to somewhere else because they realized there was no war that was going on in that specific area on the front line. Essentially, they had declared a truce with one another. And because of that truce, they saw each other as humans and refused to fight anymore. What is a truce? A truce is a suspension in the fight. It doesn't mean that everything's perfect. It doesn't mean that everything is sorted out or things are fixed, but it's just simply a suspension in the fight. It's also an agreement to stop fighting or arguing for a certain amount of time. It doesn't mean the war is over. It doesn't mean that we have all come together and we're all uh, friends, but at least it's the beginning of the end. It's the beginning of some level of peace for a certain amount of time. And I wonder, during this Christmas time, is it time to call a truce in some of the relationships in your family? 
Now, I understand this. For, for many of us, maybe you've had wonderful upbringing and wonderful Christmas experiences, and that's absolutely wonderful for you. But for many people, there's lots of tensions and lots of difficulties that have existed uh, for many years in family times. Some of us even leave town because we don't want to be around our own family. Some of us leave Scotland and come here because we don't want to be. I'm, I'm kidding. That's not me. Okay. Um, but, but oftentimes what we do is we have to try and come up with solutions to avoid the idea of ever trying to get back together. But it doesn't mean that everything's going to be fixed, but we need to figure out how do we at least take steps towards peace? How do we get to a place where maybe we can have a truce together? And if we wanted a truce, if you want a truce, I wonder how you would actually go about doing that. Well, there are four steps I want to suggest of what it takes to have a truce, at least at this point in your life. And the first thing is this. Someone has to take the first step. Someone has to take the first step towards the other person. Why not you? Why not me? Why not us? Why not us as Christians? Now, to do that, you actually have to do it wholeheartedly. You can't do half in and half out. There was a story of, uh, of uh, a husband and a, and a wife who had argued with each other, and they were at each other's throats, and, and he had to get up early the, ne- the next morning, but she got up earlier than him. And he had said, listen, honey, well, I have to get up early for, uh, uh, for my flight. Could you wake me up in the morning before you leave? And so sure enough, he woke up the next day and he had missed his flight and his wife wasn't there and he wondered why she hadn't woken him up. And he turned over to see on his pillow a little note that said, honey, it's time to wake up. (laughs) Halfway doesn't work. Half-hearted doesn't work. In order to be able to truly take a step towards a truce or any type of reconciliation, there has to be something that is wholeheartedly a next step, a first step towards this. And I wonder if you should ask God whether you should be the one to take that first step. Or would you rather dig your heels in and keep digging in your position and hold the line of your trench? Or maybe you should climb the ladder and go into that no man's land where you won't even have a guarantee of any type of reciprocation. But at least it would have been a first step. The second thing that you'll find in order to be able to create a truce is this. We must be willing to drop our weapons. We must be willing to drop our weapons. That's to drop our ideologies, our arguments, our politics, our religion, our past. They're not more important than the person that you're trying to speak with. Now again, that doesn't mean that they necessarily want to have any type of relationship back with you. You might find out that you actually take a step towards them, you drop your weapons, and they end up shooting at you anyway. They might shoot across the bow, they might shoot directly at you. They might try and criticize you and pull you down. But listen, you're just looking for a truce, and you can't do it without taking a first step and actually trying to drop your weapons. The third thing that I believe that we need for truce is this. We must focus on what unites us. We must focus on what unites us. And if you actually take the time to look at what actually unites you, maybe there's not that much that unites you. Maybe you can't see anything that unites you because you have, dis- you have disagreements on absolutely everything. They're on this side of the aisle and I'm on that side of the aisle. They believe in God. I don't believe. Whatever it is, maybe there's a lot that you don't agree on. But can I tell you this? All you have to do is spend some time together. And one of the best ways to do it is just have some coffee together. Last week or the week before, someone had called me up and I hadn't seen them in a long time. And they said, you know, I just want to, I just, sorry, they, sorry, they texted me and said, you know, I just 
just want to say how much I miss you. I haven't seen you in years and I miss you. And I said, would you like to get some coffee together? And so we actually had some coffee together. We just took a next step and decided to spend some time together. And here's the key, getting together with people that you disagree with, I recommend you don't talk about issues. You don't talk about the problems or the past if you're not ready to do it or if they're not ready to do it. Just ask caring questions. How are you? How are the kids? How is your job? How is life? Learn how to do small talk. Now I get it. Maybe some of you don't like small talk. Can't stand small talk. Just waste so much time. What does it matter? You're just talking about the weather. Can I tell you, I talk small talk every Sunday morning. I do. When I'm meeting new people, we're not getting into deep stuff. I'm not like, so tell me about how bad your marriage is or uh, how many demons do you have? Do you need some deliverance? You know, I'm not getting into weird, deep stuff, right? Uh, Are you in debt? Maybe there's a point where we'll talk about that stuff, but come on. When you're actually trying to take a step towards a person, you must learn the art of small talk, right? Just learn, oh, I'm an introvert. I don't like really talking to people. Then you're never going to be able to take the ground that you're trying to take, which is for Christ, not for yourself, but to be able to try and close the gap between people. Now listen, the conversation helps you to see people. It helps you to see the person. Small talk can actually help you on that path. Now note this, they may never want to unite with you. They may never want to actually be on the same page with you with some of the issues that you've had. It doesn't matter. Just focus on what does unite you. Can you actually have a same sports team? Do you have the same food that you like? Do you have the same something that you like that you can actually find a common ground with? The fourth thing that you need for a truth is this, and that is you must allow your heart to be changed. We must allow our hearts to be changed because if your heart is not changed, you will always go back to the fight. Once your, once your moment is up, your truce is up, and once your, your opportunity to reach out to them is up, then you'll just eventually go back to the fight. It's the difference between resolution and reconciliation. Resolution is things that lawyers are looking for. Resolutions is what uh, countries are looking for. They're basically just trying to get to the place where they can actually have a conflict resolution where they try and stop the fight and make everything equal. The divorce is happening. You both, you got a divorce. You've got your lawyer, and they've got their lawyer, and they're just trying to figure out how to make an equal division of all the resources that you have. That's not what God is trying to do in our lives. He's not trying to find a resolution. He's trying to find reconciliation. Reconciliation is not, it's not easy to do. I, I completely understand that. Sometimes all you can do is find an amicable agreement of a resolution and there is no resolution right now. But our goal as Christians is always to work towards a, resol- a, a reconciliation. Why? Because it's Christ's way. You see, Christ's way is reconciliation. And reconciliation means this, to restore friendly relations and bring the balance to zero, to restore, to restore friendly relations and to bring the balance to zero. When you're at Christmas time and you start singing about Jesus and about his birth and why he came, look, he's come to give us birth. He's come to give us life. He's come to, uh, to, 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 the Savior has come to try and save us. But when you're singing, hark the, hark the, the herald angels sing, you're saying this, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. You see, that's the goal. 
God wasn't trying to actually create a, a resolution. He was trying to bring a reconciliation. Now, there are often three approaches to peace. Oftentimes, there's fight or flight. There are those who are peace breakers. They're trying to fight. And those that are peace fakers, they're just trying to run away from the situation. I'll give them whatever they want. We'll pretend like there is no fight. No, Jesus came to bring reconciliation where he is a peacemaker, not a peace breaker, not a peace faker, but a peacemaker. He's coming to bring reconciliation. This is why Christ came. Christmas, I wonder, is the time when we should take that first step too. Because Jesus took that first step. He came to bring the debt to zero. He came to restore relationship between us and God. Jesus became the reconciliation for us. How do I know that? Because in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, it says, for he, Jesus himself, is our peace. Look at that. He's our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. And what is Paul talking about here? He's actually talking about Jews and Gentiles, where Jews were trying to follow God, Yahweh, and the, and the Gentiles were trying to follow Jesus. It turns out they were actually the same person, but they couldn't get on together. And so he's talking about how, listen, God, Jesus has come to bring us all together. He wants to make the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. It seems that in a, a, a building walls is the most re recession-proof industry there is out there right now. Building walls is something that people are very good at doing. But God, it says, through Jesus, has come to divide that wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands, the law with its commands and its regulations. I wonder... I wonder if you have laws. I wonder if you have these rules and regulations in your life that maybe is pushing other people away. I understand. I'm not saying that you should violate your own morality and you should decide that you no longer believe in your beliefs, but I wonder if your stance on your belief is pushing someone that you love further away simply because you're demanding that your traditions still have to be held or that your position actually has to be agreed on. You see, I'm a firm believer that abortion is not right. I'm against abortion. I have to follow that belief because that's what I read in Scripture. But if it makes me push other people away from me, then what am I doing? Just because I'm declaring truth, but it doesn't bring freedom to other people and doesn't open up doors to help me to come closer to them, then what am I doing? It doesn't mean I have to get rid of my beliefs, but standing on that and making that the thing that they have to bow down to and have to in order to have a relationship with me doesn't work for anyone. Someone just shared with me this morning how... <clears throat> They've had to make a decision that even with their own children, that their children now live a completely different lifestyle. And he says, I have to make more effort to reach out to them, even though I disagree with their lifestyle. It's up to you whether you want to have that type of relationship with your family, with your children. Because I know fine well, as soon as my kids live, leave home, they're not going to be living the exact same life I do. I know they're going to come up with different ways that they do things, different ethics, or they're going to reject some of the things I do, and they're going to take hold of something else. That might make me feel rejected. Listen, that's just the way it is. That's how it happens. We have to suffer the fact that people may end up disagreeing with us. The question is, can we still keep the door open with ourselves and them? We 
now following Jesus, it says his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Jesus has has reconciled us to God. And now if you're a follower of Christ and you're a Christ follower, you are now the ambassador of reconciliation as well. Because Jesus was the example of reconciliation, you now must be the example of reconciliation too. How do I know that? Because in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's you, Christ follower, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this, why is it here? Why has this all come this way? Because all of this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Thanks be to God that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We are now the ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is someone who represents someone greater than themselves. If you became an ambassador for America, you would go to another country and represent America. uh, uh, You would represent America to that country, and then you would try and build relations with that country in order that those countries might be able to come together and have a peace between them, that they might be able to work fruitfully together. You are an ambassador for Christ. Now, don't don't get me wrong. I completely understand that not everybody will be reconciled. But the people that need to be reconciled to you, you have to understand this. It's not actually about being reconciled to you. It's that you become a conduit for them to become reconciled to God. Right? It's not just that you have a lovely relationship now and that you can actually eat turkey together on Christmas Day. That's a wonderful thing all in itself, but you're not the end goal. You're not the end result. The end result is to try and get people to the place where they're actually now see reconciliation with you as an example of having reconciliation with God. You see, laying down your weapon isn't about that you're wrong or that you're right or that you're giving up. It's simply that you're saying, I'm laying down my weapon that they might end up having a reconciled relationship with God. You see what I'm saying? So all the steps that you're taking is not actually to have you as the end result, but to have them as an end result. No, let me acknowledge this. There are many people that do never, will never be reconciled with God and they're sure as heck not gonna be reconciled with you. And so you're gonna take that opportunity to try and reach out to them, to try and work with them. I get it, you're never going to be successful, all those things. But God didn't tell us, succeed at reconciliation. He told us to be an ambassador. You see, reconciliation is something you can't control. Being an ambassador is something you can control. That's something that you can actually do. So today I want to ask you this question. Who came to mind when I was talking about all this stuff this morning? Who's the person that came to your mind? Maybe they're sitting right beside you. I don't know. But who came to mind? Is it someone in your family? They go to a different church. They live in a different city. Maybe they don't even believe in God. Maybe they live in a different country. Someone came to mind right now. I want you to start asking God, What do you want me to do next? What's my next step with this? How might I take 
the next step? How might I be the one to take the first step? How might I actually lay down some of my ammunition and my weapons in order to be an ambassador for Christ? Let's stand this morning as we end our service. Father in heaven, we want to ask for your forgiveness where we have not been a good reflection and not been a good ambassador for you. Where we have either been a fighter and we have been a peace breaker or that we have been a flighter where we have been a peace faker. But Father, we're asking that you would teach us how to become peacemakers, to know how to reach out to family this Christmas and be united together under the Spirit of Christ. Because we know fine well, there is no way that we can do it by ourselves, but it's only by the Spirit of Christ can we actually see reconciliation. We know, Jesus, that you are the hope of the world. You are the light to the world. And we pray you'd help us to be great ambassadors of you. We ask this in your precious son's name. And all God's people said, amen. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.